New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. It is only through a change in human consciousness that the world will be transformed. The personal and the planetary are connected. As we expand our awareness of mind, body, psyche, and spirit, and bring that awareness actively into the world, so also will the world be changed. This is our quest as we explore new dimensions. is our most universal and yet also individual way of communicating with the divine, of connecting with the infinite dimensions of our being. Each of us has our own way of praying and praising and speaking to the sacred mystery. What is your language of prayer? How do others pray? Today we'll explore the many manifestations of prayer and be inspired by how others practice prayer with our guest Celeste Iacoboni. Celeste Iacoboni is an ordained minister of walking prayer and is a spiritual coach. She resides in Santa Fe, New Mexico. She's the editor of How Do You Pray? Inspiring responses from religious leaders, spiritual guides, healers, activists, and other lovers of humanity. Join us for the next hours. We explore the rich inner life of prayer with our guest, Celeste Iacoboni. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. I'll be your host. Welcome to New Dimensions. Celeste, welcome. Thank you, Justine. It's grand to have you here talking about this most universal subject. Tell me, first of all, just what inspired you to even think about pulling together such a rich resource of prayer? I woke up with a unifying vision that I saw the essence of all religious traditions and spiritual practices, and I actually heard those words, how do you pray? And I knew that I would ask this to the world. I gathered people together in circles, which we called prayer shares, and we shared different ways of prayer, different traditional practices. And at some point, I realized that a book of prayers from our spiritual teachers and thought leaders and luminaries would be a great inspiration for us during these incredible times of transition on the planet. And there's so many varieties of prayer. I mean, that's what really popped for me in going through the book, just such a variety. And so I'm, I'm thinking about certain ways of looking at prayer, there are some people who would personify God, so to speak, or spirit, and, and actually have this personal relationship. And then there are others who who are don't personify and, and they they have a more general relationship. Can you say something about those two ways of 
being with prayer? Some people are very clear in who or what they are praying to or praying with. And they have a God of their understanding, and that's the relationship that they've cultivated and they bask in. Others find a very organic way, maybe nature or all, all of our relations, everything is part of, of this web of life, and they pray in that way. And then there are others, like myself, that walk in both worlds, where, yes, I pray to spirit, to God, to all of the beautiful names that I have for this essence, and I also walk in relationship with all that is. I think that's a really good point that it doesn't have to be either or. I really identify with that because uh, sometimes it feels very personal and other times it feels very universal, like a feeling, a feeling in the heart or a, a deep connection. Uh, and I, I think of myself as a kind of um, I have a lot of spiritual enthusiasm. I've been described as having a lot of spiritual enthusiasm. And that came to me as a, even as a child for some reason. It was like, I guess I would call it a gift, one of my gifts. And some other people might call it a burden. <laughs> but but in, in that way, I'm, I'm thinking of the time in my life when I really moved from a personal God to one that was more universal. It was after a 17-day retreat, and I'd been studying Buddhism, and I remember Celeste being bereft. I went into spiritual angst when I thought, oh my gosh, there isn't a personal God anymore. That was a very, very difficult time for me. Have you, have you run across that with anybody? Well, I've run across it with myself at a very early age. I went to a Catholic elementary school, and early on, the nuns taught us that God always was and always will be. And that intrigued me because I couldn't, of course, wrap my mind around it, and I followed that always was, always was, for as long as I could. And then I went the other way always will be. And I tasted that essence of eternity, of the infinite. And that sparked me. And that stayed with me always. And gods were part of it. Um, many names of God, of course, gods, goddess were part of it. But that infinite spark that I knew then was what has burn bright inside of me ever since. I, for, for me, what I did to help me get through that phase is that I looked for what I call emanations or, or so that I, I really have a need to connect with something that I, I feel is solid in some way. And so I connected, let's say, with um, things like Our Lady of Guadalupe is one. I call her the dark goddess of the Americas. 
and uh, she was very, very important also to Michael, uh, to my late husband, Michael Toms, and and also, or to my guides, I, I, the invisible guides, I'll call them in, or the goddess, uh, the mother of all the Buddhas, Tara, I'll play to, to pray to Tara. So these are some of the ways that I use like these intercessory, uh, uh, what, what is it called? Uh, intercessions for me into the, the divine when I need it, when I need that. Sometimes I can go directly, but do you, do you find that this kind of moves for you too? Yes, the mother has been very strong and always with me. The Blessed Mother, as I knew her first from a youth, Mary. And throughout all of my different explorations of traditions, I too related to the mother so strongly. Um, Tara, Kuan Yin, Guadalupe. And I kind of forgot about the Blessed Mother, Mary, the Virgin Mary, Mother of God. And it wasn't until I had a phone interview with Rabbi Zalman Shachter Shalomi, and he reminded me. After our conversation, he said, I have something just for you. He said, don't throw those saints and guides and guardian angels out with that institution, with that religion you walked out of. He said, they are part of you, and they will always be there for you. And it wasn't long after that I had a great challenge in my life, and I found myself saying, Hail Marys. That's great. That's I love it. I love it. I, I, I love that. And when you talked about angels, I'm thinking of um, someone, Robin Lynn, who was, uh, who was a midwife. And I loved it. She said, I have a committee of angels. I loved her committee of mm-hmm. angels. And she said, I, I'd love to just share this with our listeners. She she really calls on them. And, and her prayer in the book, um, she says, Every morning I say thank you and call a meeting with my committee of angels. I assign them jobs. I love this. And she said, Dear Angel, look after the young single mother in labor. Angel of Strength, who is part of our committee, please comfort the young father who just found out he's HIV positive. Angels, go, one of you go to the wife and make sure that she does not get infected. Safety Angel, please make sure my son wears his helmet on the motorbike. Angel of Money, make sure we can pay the bills for the clinic. Hand-washing angels, tooth-brushing angels, street-crossing angels, look after my grandchildren. Milk angels, help the mother to breastfeed her babies. Angels of midwives, look after the birth keepers. Angels of peace, don't give up. Mm. That was so beautiful, just just the way she is so connected, and she directs them and says, here's what to do. So that's another idea, that there are many kinds of prayers, like there's prayer of gratitude, there's prayer of delight, there's prayer of desperation and uh, crisis, and then there's these kind of directive prayers. Can you say something about some of those kinds of prayers? So many people spoke of conversational prayer where they spoke to their God, their guides, their angels, as if they were sitting beside them, maybe in the the seat in the car next to them. And they had conversations like, well, God, I need some help here. And they spoke that way 
which was so beautiful and so personal and so touching. And there were other ways that were a lot more formal. And maybe even there were some uh, rituals needed in between that actual communication. Like what kind of ritual? Like um, burning incense, setting a timer for a contained uh, portion of time where they dedicate this, this time for prayer. Also, dedications. You know, I'm dedicating everything I do today to the highest good. So there would be some kind of an intention. And in all of those, there was a common, many common threads, but one common thread, thy will be done. That we do everything we can. We pray, we set our intentions, we hold up in our awareness what we really hope for. And even then we know that it is in the hands of a higher force and we have no control. So we surrender to thy will be done as we set our intention for the highest good of ourselves, our friends, these people we're praying for, and the whole world. I'm here with Celeste Iacoboni, and she is the gatherer of all these prayers that have been published in a book, How Do You Pray? Inspiring Responses from Religious Leaders, Spiritual Guides, Healers, Activists, and Other Lovers of Humanity. And she spells her name, Yakaboni, Y-A-C-O-B-O-N-I, Yakaboni. And her website is howdoyoupray.com. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. with Celeste Iacoboni, and she's the editor of a wonderful book, How Do You Pray? And we're, we're talking about prayer. And I was recently with a Qigong master, Michael Gelb, who is also included in the book, and he's an authority in, apply, in applying genius thinking to our lives. And also, uh, he has is the author of Creativity on Demand, I asked him about his prayer life, and here's what he has to say. Michael, tell me, what is the importance of prayer for you? Well, it's just how I start every day, and it's something I do every hour, and I do it again before I go to sleep. 
So it must be important because I... You actually <laughs> yeah. do it. You participate. Yeah. And, and what, what is your, the activity? What do you do when, then when you pray? Well, I have a ritual that, of invocations that I make to start my day. Uh, I, what it really comes down to is dedicating the day to something greater than myself and my own ego and my own needs and to be an instrument of peace and creativity and transformation for the world. So this puts you right to begin with into a, a, a larger context. It's not just you, your ego, you, or even your body. It's, it's you're connecting with a larger source of energy. Is that what I'm hearing? You, you could say that, yeah. I, I, that, that is connecting with higher intelligence, greater energy, with a sense of purpose beyond. You know, I... I wake up, I'm hungry. I, I want to eat my breakfast. Uh, I want to run my business. I want to be successful. I want to make my friends happy. I want to have fun and pleasure and joy, just like everybody. But I just contextualize it every day in terms of uh, having what I bring to that day be for the highest good of all sentient beings. Yes. And then there's different, you know, different ways that I invoke that. The other thing I also always invoke every day is a connection to and gratitude to all my ancestors. And so I'm, I'm, I'm moving forward into the day, uh, aiming to be a vehicle or an instrument of, of peace and creativity and transformation. And I, part of what helps that, I think grounds that, is a sense of gratitude for those who've made one's existence uh, possible. So that was Michael Gelb. And Celeste, you were mentioning just a few minutes ago about really dedicating your day. So starting off the day with that dedication, I, I just feel like that just enlargens our life and our purpose and meaning to our lives right to begin with. Do, do you have something to say about that? When I open my eyes in the morning, I am flooded with thank you. That's the first feeling, deep gratitude for this beautiful gift of life, to be here and to have an opportunity for another day. And I feel, too, that I am dedicating myself to be of service, to be in my own being. And... With that dedication, we show up in many ways for many people. I feel prayer is more of an awareness, a prayerness, than something we necessarily do, although we do it in many ways as well. But this awareness of the things that we do throughout the day, like Michael Gelb, he walks his prayer. He's a good friend, and he is very available for me, he has been, and for his friends, really to help in any way that he can with his um, many gifts, his gifts of cre creativity and um, genius thinking. Mm -hmm. So he's been wonderful that way. And I feel, too, that we dedicate ourselves in whatever way shows up, 
we show up for each other. He also mentioned that he he calls in his ancestors and the wisdom of the ancestors. And several people in the book also mentioned that too. So what is the importance of calling in the ancestors? I feel that we have this line, this lineage, and it feels like they prayed for us or they prayed us into being. Their vision for life to go on in a good way, for there to be food, water, and air is what we're living and basking in now. And we are praying for future generations as well as taking responsibility and making the right choices in our day-to-day life, which is a prayer as well. Right. Um, I'm thinking also about life cycles, and I, I think of myself. As a, a little girl, I had a prayer that I said, and then you go and you grow up and you, you, you have these different cycles. But I remember when I was a child, and I don't know where it came from, but I did that, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. That had so much meaning for me. And what I did then, this little ritual, it was almost superstitious, uh, I would say, that if I didn't say it, I was like, oh, I have to say this prayer. And then I would go, God bless. And I would name Every single person I knew, I would name my parents and my brothers and sister and my grandparents and my dog and my cat. I mean, I would name everything. And it wasn't until I had gone through every name could I go to sleep. Mm. And that was something that I, I, it's like children have a kind of natural affinity for this, even if they never learn it, I think, from anybody else. Has that been an experience for you? Yes, and I feel that children, their egos aren't as solidly formed yet. So they are feeling our oneness and our connectedness and not feeling so much of the separation. I have and still do sometimes pray like that at night and do a ritual, but bring all of my relations, all of my friends, all of my family. And of course, as our friends and families grow and grow, and these networks that we now have are huge, I say names, I bring people in that really need um, extra support right now, and also then say to all my relations, Mm -hmm. to all of my family, the global family, Mm -hmm. all of us, Mm -hmm. all life on the planet. Really, yes, absolutely. I can think of, um, uh, you've included Peter Russell, uh, the physicist and, and uh, thought leader. Um, and he was interesting. He, he talked about, he said, I don't pray for divine intervention, you know, in worldly things. He said, but I do pray for divine intervention for my own mind uh, because in that place in that part of my being is the root of my discontent, he says, is the root of my discontent. And and he brings up the word innocent curiosity and about how 
he would ask the question, and I, I love the question, and maybe pray for the question or pose the question, is there another way of looking at this? Like if we're, we're bothered by something, and, and so he prays for what I'm interpreting for an expansion of our view to be so large that we can look at things in a different way. And then he says something very important. He said, and then he lets it go. He doesn't dwell on it, but he lets it go. And then something through a kind of deep listening comes and dawns on him, some idea or some concept or something that that I, I get from him that is comforting, that that feels true and right and good, and and it um, he can go on with whatever it is. So I, I love that combination of of saying, okay, this is a disturbance in my mind, and how can I look at this differently, and then listen deeply. That's amazing. It's a, such a place that he goes where there is no judgment. He considers the possibility of that. And without judgment, it sounds like he then has compassion for something that is different, perhaps, than, you know, how he feels about it. I did something like that as well. I often do. I consider, I say like, well, I'll consider for five minutes that that could be true. And I'll sit with it, and I will consider the possibility, and it it lightens the um, the, the strong boundaries between thoughts that arise in the mind, and we can consider something deeper, the humanity in that. How could that be considered okay, or is that a survival mechanism, or ego, or you know what brings that on? We're all human, so we all have the potential for the same sort of things. But I thought that was inspirational. It was. I, it was. And, you know, uh, there's a, another one. I, th- I think, um, I'm not sure who, who wrote it, but it, it, I, I've, it's actually a phrase that I've come up with uh, several times in prayer when I'm confused or especially when I'm feeling agitated. And a question that comes up is, to pray the question, what would love do now? Mm-hmm. I love that question. Mm-hmm. What would love do now? So when I'm I'm wanting to just fire back that email and just say, oh, you know, grump, 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 you know, about things, mm-hmm. I would, you know, stop and and maybe hold that that phrase as a prayer. What would love do now? Mm-hmm. And amazing, and going back to that deep listening, then something will come to me, and I can just feel my whole body relax and get in get in tune with love, which is that divine energy, that source, lo- the, the, the big love, big love. Yeah. Yeah. Elaine Dowdy, she wrote that, and she actually gives us an experience that we can read and, um, and be part of. She says, what would love say? What would love say? And then we feel love in our hearts 
overflowing into every cell of our bodies. That's so beautiful. Mm-hmm. That's so beautiful. It, it has definitely been helpful to me in in my life quite a bit to to stop me from from ex- what what would you call it? I mean, like exacerbating the situation. So I'm here with Celeste Iacoboni. She's the author of How Do You Pray? And if you'd like to know more about her work, you can go to her website, howdoyoupray.com. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Celeste Yacoboni. She spells her name Y-A-C-O-B-O-N-I, Celeste Yacoboni, and she's the author of How Do You Pray? It's a collection of marvelous, marvelous contributions from religious leaders and spiritual guides, uh, other other people, activists, um, contributing about how they pray and how they hold prayer. And... Um, Recently, I was with Father Matthew Fox, who is one of the contributors in your book, Celeste. And he's a priest and an author of more than 30 books, including Original Blessing, Meister Eckhart, A Mythic Warrior for Our Times, and many other books. And I asked him about the importance of prayer. And he tells me that sometimes prayer can be a communion with others and not just humans. Here's what he said. Sometimes prayer is uh, communing with others, not just with human beings, but maybe with animals and asking what they have to teach us. Many animals are suffering today and they are coming in our dreams and in other circumstances asking us to um, step up and remember them. Or it may be the trees and the forests or the soil who are asking things of us. So prayer is the capacity to listen to listen to the suffering of others and uh, the wisdom of others. Um, these men who a few years ago uh, went out to try to rescue a whale in the, in the, um, near the Golden Gate Bridge that was uh, wrapped up in fishermen's ropes and was drowning, uh, they did a courageous thing. They went out with their machetes and wetsuits and, uh, you know, a flip of the tail and any one of them could have died. But they succeeded after about a 45-minute operation of cutting cutting the whale loose. And she responded first by swimming three great big circles out of her joy of being liberated and not dying. Then she went up to each one and nudged them, touched each one individually as they were in the water, giving her thanks. That, that was a prayerful act. Um, and, uh, and the men knew it. Every one of the men was interviewed later and said it was the most transcendent experience of their life. And especially the one who, was, who went to the front of the whale uh, and was eye to eye with her for those 45 minutes while he was trying to cut the rope that had entered her mouth. So um, 
Paul said, pray always. And I think given my definition of prayer as a radical response to life, that we can be in a prayerful state always, whether we're in silence or whether we're in, uh, in uh, uh, confrontation with, uh, with powers that be. Because the prophets pray by shouting and by uh, speaking out about injustice. And we are in a prayerful state when you're in a creative state. So I wrote a book a few years ago on creativity, um, what do you call it, where the divine and the human meet. So often when people are in a, a creative state, they don't look at their watches. Uh, time goes. I know a lot of painters who paint all night without stopping, and, uh, and writers too. And I've certainly had that experience, the, the creative state of writing. Well, that's a, a prayerful state. Hopefully our whole life is a prayer, that we're walking prayers and talking prayers and sleeping prayers and love-making prayers and um, creating uh, life itself. All that is prayer. If it comes from our depths, it's prayer. Wow, wasn't that a beautiful story about the whale? And uh, can you imagine they were underwater for 45 minutes cutting all those ropes off of her? And then being blessed by the whale, uh, just the gentleness, I just found that so moving. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So prayer could be our communion with, with nature. Yes, and I think it's a great opportunity to be in relationship with these animals and other species, life forms, all of nature, and to expand how we love. How can I love more to love all of these different life forms and find that there is a communication? There is a way, of course, that we're relating to each other through our breath, through our intuition, through our very life on the planet right now. And we develop more and more compassion and more and more love in this relationship. I think when you talk about breath, I think about sharing our breath with trees. Mm -hmm. We actually do an exchange with trees. We breathe out and they breathe in what we breathe out and we breathe in what they breathe out. You know, it's such a mysterious and magical and sacred exchange. And it makes us, I think so many and many people have written in the book about uh how they, um, trees and how they, we're just, when we're really in with it, a large, older tree, it's like just in awe. It's awesome. It's, we just become full of awe. And I, I think of Terry Tempest Williams, who has been on the program many times. She's a dear friend and I, I love her work. And here's what she wrote going back to animals. Uh, she wrote about, her, her sense of prayer, she says, I pray to the birds because I believe they will carry the messages of my heart upward. I pray to them because I believe in their existence. The way their songs begin and end each day, the invocations and benedictions of earth. I pray to the birds because they remind me of what I love rather than what I fear. I love that. They remind me of what I love rather than what I fear. And at the end of my prayers, they teach me how to listen. 
so beautiful, Terry Tempest Williams. And I remember, Celeste, her being on the program not too long ago where she was talking about prairie dogs. And she mentioned the fact that prairie dogs in the morning, they they get up out of their underground homes and tunnels and they stand up and they put their little paws together like in prayer and they watch the rising sun. They do this every morning. And then in the evening, they repeat the ritual and they do it to the setting sun. Now, what mystery is that? Mm -hmm. I saw photographs of them in their sun salutation and their setting sun salutation and how beautiful it is. And to have that opportunity when observing nature to listen, to have that opportunity to listen, which then puts us in touch with something greater than our minds. And in our minds are the fears, the fears that we create. So to have that opportunity to be in connectedness and relationship with nature, something greater than our limitations, is beautiful. When you were talking about fears in our mind, I was thinking of my late husband and partner, Michael Toms, and he often spoke about the comforting thought to him. He grew up Catholic, as as you mentioned, you went to Catholic grade school, and, and he grew up Catholic, and and he later in life he became Buddhist, more Buddhist, but he he never really left his Catholic roots. And he would often say, Oh, you know, remember at four o'clock in the morning, all the monks all over the world that are getting up to pray. And you know, Celeste, for me, I think when when you talk about fear in our minds, I'm I'm thinking about I call it the time of the wolf <laughs> for some reason. I don't mean to degrade wolves, but but if we wake up like in that early morning and we're filled with anxiety and angst and and worry and there's nothing to do about it and and then to just tune in to all the prayers that are being said in that very moment by all the monks and nuns and all the spiritual people that are getting up in that early morning and that are praying and connecting with that. It gives me a lot of comfort. It, kind of, it helps to change my mindset you know, from anxiety to one that it just starts to relax me. I feel so strongly about this. What you're tuning into is the prayer field. There are people at any time of the day and night, praying in every tradition, culture, language, holding that vigil of prayer. And it really does create a template of energy, something that, as Michael tuned into, as you're tuning into, feeling the prayers of others, and our prayers join with those prayers, and we create this, this field of love and support and inspiration for ourselves and each other and for the earth. 
I think that there was something called the uh, prayer intention experiment that uh, it was done. I think it was done by TM uh, Transcendental Meditation Group. I remember years ago reading about how they had this field of prayer, as you were talking about, and they were praying at that time for Lebanon and Israel. They were having conflicts at that time. And they did some research and said the violence actually decreased during that time of that collective prayer. And I also think about the work of Larry Dossey when he talked about how when we collectively pray for someone, let's say, after heart surgery, and how those people who are prayed for healed more quickly. So you, it's this collective field of prayer that you're talking about. And they didn't even have to know they were being prayed for, nor did they have to have a belief system of their own. And they were still benefiting from these prayers and healing quickly. It's so amazing. Isn't it amazing? Mm-hmm. Another way of praying is uh, sometimes in poetry. Poetry is a wonderful way of praying. And um, I, I know that you've included uh Kim Rosen, who did a book called uh, Saved by a Poem, and she's just amazing. She's just a wealth of poetry that she just holds inside of her. And I picked out a couple of poems that I I thought were really relevant, and one that I love, and just it's by E.E. Cummings, and it's, um, I thank you, God, for most this amazing day for the leaping greenly spirits of trees in the blue true dream of sky and for everything which is natural, which is infinite, which is yes. Isn't that great? I just love it. It's just a, that prayer of just praise and thanksgiving. And then there's another one um, which is by uh, Antonio Machado, and it's uh, translated by Robert Bly. I'll just read one stanza of it. It's, Last night as I was sleeping, I dreamt, marvelous error, that I had a beehive here inside my heart, and the golden bees were making white combs and sweet honey from my old failures. Ah, wow. Oh. Well, that's a prayer of deep forgiveness. I'm here with Celeste Iacoboni. She is the author and collector of all these prayers into the book called How Do You Pray? I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions.
I'm here with Celeste Iacoboni, and she is the collector of a marvelous volume of prayers and how different people pray and look at prayers. The book is How Do You Pray? Celeste, I would love to share with you, uh, I was recently with Michael Mead. He's a storyteller and mythologist, and he's the author of many books and the creator of the CD set, Finding Genius in Your Life. And I asked him about prayer, and here's what he has to say. Michael, I want to ask you, what is the importance of prayer for you, and how do you pray? Well, I like that old definition that anytime we're not thinking of ourselves, we're praying. Prayer is kind of a natural motion of the soul. The soul is naturally in awe of trees, and and seeing a great tree will go into a state of prayer. Uh, So the way you say that psychologically is if I'm not thinking of myself and my ego awareness, then I'm actually already praying. So that's one idea that I like. I like, um, I researched once, what's the oldest prayer in the world? And, uh, and it turned out to be a partial prayer. Um, but what happened in the prayer, uh, the person praying was praying to a certain deity. But what, what made it wonderful was they then said, and any deity that I'm not aware of, I also pray to, and any spirit I don't know, I pray to. And if I have done any harm to anything unknowingly, I also make a prayer of forgiveness for that. And so... So there's something about prayer and forgiveness that I like a lot and the idea that we make mistakes and um, the prayer of asking for forgiveness. I have uh, a beautiful uh, Kuan Yin statue right by the door of the house. So on the way out, I ask for forgiveness, which is a little bit of a prayer. And on the way in, I ask for forgiveness because, remember, we already settled that I was a troublemaker. So (laughs) I have to do it going in both directions. So the prayer of forgiveness, which begins with forgiving oneself, um, and it's so easy to make, to me, is, is a big prayer. And then we were talking about song. I think singing is a prayer. In other words, um, and, and all prayers to me are, at least the ones I'm interested in, are not repetitious prayers. I was taught as a kid, our father and all. That, you, you grew up Catholic. Yeah. And so you had certain prayers that were repeated yeah. over and over again. They're not prayers. That's credo. That's actually credo. Those are creeds. A prayer at some level, is a spontaneous movement of the soul that can lead to falling into genuflection on your knees, to bowing. It can lead to forgiveness, but it can lead to singing. Songs are some of the best prayers. Rejoicing. And, yeah, and, and when we're singing, we're making a prayer, and but it's a prayer that the animals understand too. And so, so I don't know. To me, I guess you could get to the point like Hafez, where it's all prayers, you know. <laughs> But uh, but I like the prayer of forgiveness, and I like songs as prayers. What was that old saying? Um, poems are songs, and songs are prayers. And if you have any of those, you have all of those. Mm. Michael, thank you so much. That was Michael Mead, and he's a mythologist and storyteller, and. He he really spoke about the prayer of forgiveness. He talked about forgiveness, and that reminds me that that you have you use a prayer of forgiveness ho'oponopono, and I'd love Celeste for you to say something about that prayer, where that came from, and how you use it. It's a Hawaiian healing practice, and ho'oponopono means to make things right. 
by taking responsibility for everything that comes to us, that comes into our world, we have the opportunity to then clear ourselves, which clears everything around us, everything that we create, everything that we're responsible for, and our whole world. So essentially, it is the words, I'm sorry, I love you, please forgive me, and thank you. So it embraces love, compassion, gratitude, and forgiveness. It isn't necessarily for anything, but for everything. We're putting this out to the divine for everything that we are grateful for, for everything that we are sorry for as a humanity, everything that we are potentially capable of and might be sorry for, for all of it. So we put that out there. And when I first heard about it, it really resonated with me. And I used it like a mantra. I'm sorry. I love you. Please forgive me. Thank you. Or throughout my day, I would find myself saying, I'm sorry. I love you. And at some point, it came out in song. I was driving home from my office one day, and it came out in song. And I thought, wow, where did this come from? So I called a friend, and I knew she wasn't home, but I wanted to leave it on her voicemail just so I wouldn't forget it. Not that I could, but just in case. So that song was there. And now um, many people ask me to lead their groups or open a workshop or um, something with this song. And I actually have a CD on my website of the Ho'oponopono chant. Would you, can you do that chant for us right now? Can I ask you to do it? Sure, sure. Ho'oponopono. Ho upon upon ho upon upon ho Ho upon upon ho upon upon ho Ho upon upon ho upon upon ho Ho upon upon I am so sorry I love you please forgive me I thank you I am so sorry I love you, please forgive me. I thank you, Ho'oponopono. Ho'oponopono, Ho'oponopono. Ho'oponopono, Ho'oponopono. Ho'oponopono, Ho'oponopono. Ho'oponopono. Thank you, Celeste. <sighs> I think that this this prayer, because some of our listeners may not know the origins of this prayer by Hugh Lynn, and when he first came up with it and how powerful it was. Can you say something about the origins? The origins were... Um, of course, Hawaiian, and they used this practice as a um, community healing, as a mediation. When there was something, a glitch in the community, they would get together and show up at a house for an intervention. They would bring food, they would bring their intention, and they were committed to stay and for the duration until there was a resolution. And that was a community healing. Um, further on, it got more personal 
as a personal self-identity healing with uh, Morna Simona. She was a teacher of Dr. Hugh Lin. Some years ago, I received an email that was going around, you may have seen it, about the world's most unusual therapist, where he actually worked in a Hawaiian state mental hospital for the criminally insane, and these people were shackled and really um, nowhere, you know, unable to be rehabilitated. And he worked with them and had tremendous results in healing. And when asked what he did, to work with these people, he said, I actually never met any of them. I stayed in my office with their files and I cleared myself with love, compassion, gratitude, and forgiveness. And in healing myself, I healed what attracted, what was attracted to me, and I healed them. And they began to be released, some of them. Some of them went home. They eventually had to close that um, that institute, that ward, because there was great healing. So he was amazing um, in this practice of Ho'oponopono. So this goes back to that uh, collective, because you talked about how it was a collective Hawaiian practice. And so it has this field of energy. And do you feel like that's what we're tapping into when we start to use, you know, I love you, I'm sorry, Please forgive me. Thank you. These these four phrases, when we really embody them, then something is transformed. That ritual, that intention has created an energetic structure that we then are part of. And I think that's very para- powerful, just like the prayer field that we're talking about. Right, exactly, exactly. For me to bring prayer out, to, to really articulate what is in my heart, not just, just leave it in my mind, but to, to say it out loud somehow into the universe is important. And to realize that prayer is our passion. It isn't something that we do separated from our lives, like an hour a week over here at some building. Prayer is what we are passionate about, what we're grateful for, what we're excited about, what we can offer each other, what we could take to the streets and bring to service and sacred activism. And it is interspiritual. It is Sure, it's form in many traditions, and we could step in and out of those, but it's very personal, too. I want to thank you so much for being with us today, Celeste. And I do want to mention one other thing. Um, There is a website. Besides your website, there's another website. It's called World Prayers, and it's a collection of prayers from all over the world. So if people want to go on the Internet and Tune into that. It's worldprayers.org, O-R-G, worldprayers.org. I suggest that you look at that as a wealth of all kinds of prayers. And then, of course, your website is howdoyoupray.com. So you can go to Celeste Yacoboni's website. Thank you so much, Celeste, for being with us today. Thank you so much. And if you want to be in touch with her, you can go to that website, howdoyoupray.com, or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. Celeste is the author of How Do You Pray? I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You've been listening to New Dimensions. 
This is program number 3519. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. You can also subscribe to our free weekly podcasts and find over a thousand hours of audio dialogues in our searchable archive. New Dimensions is produced by New Dimensions Radio in Santa Rosa, California, USA. Our executive producer is Justine Willis-Toms. Our post-production editor is Lou Judson. For over four decades, New Dimensions has been producing weekly conversations at the leading edge. We sincerely thank all of you who have supported us by being members of Friends of New Dimensions as well as members of our affiliate stations. My name is Dan Drayson. On behalf of everyone at New Dimensions whose endeavors make this program possible, I'm wishing you well. New Dimensions Radio is an independent producer supported by listener contributions. To find out more about the program you've just heard, to subscribe to our free weekly newsletter and our New Dimensions and New Dimensions Cafe podcasts, and to access thousands of other programs in the New Dimensions archive, please visit our website, newdimensions.org. That's newdimensions.org. Or call us at 707-468-5215. That's 707-468-5215. Please join us next time as we explore New Dimensions.